filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter. You deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Normally, we start at nine, and I had to ask Adam and Ben to push back by about 15 minutes. And the reason that that happened is that between uh, around like 6.30 to around 8, instead of accomplishing things that I needed to accomplish, uh, I spent that entire time just reading Wikipedia articles about bugs that happen to be big, like the different species of like the largest bugs that that are. I was reading an unrelated article earlier today about um, I can't remember the name of the the, the Hercules beetle. Um, there was a guy who said that he kept a Hercules beetle as a pet while he was doing other stuff in Honduras, and he said it was the size of a man's fist, and that stuck in my head for a little while, and because it, it has a horn is the thing. Like it's not it's as long the, as your fist, mostly because of the horn coming okay. off of. It's not yeah. the body is the size. No, no, no. No, uh, it's, that, that's it's, still too big. That's still too big. So apparently this is a very gentle beetle that like this guy kept as a pet because he could just feed it one banana a day and it would just munch on a banana and hang out. What? It ate a whole what? banana. You just yes, say one, that one like banana it, per day. Right. You just say that like it's nothing, but a what? beetle that can eat an entire banana. Oh, in a but, day? but my point is that it's a beetle that can't act unless unless you like jab your hand into its the horn. It's not going to hurt you. Um, is the thing. So it's the just a big old thing. other beetles for mating, right? Exactly. Yes. It's a fist sized like, bug eating an entire banana uh, per day. Um, yeah. Uh, right. So here's my, my next question Does this bug, this particular Hercules beetle, have social media? Because it sounds like it should be on Instagram or TikTok or something. I'm sure. I'm sure that if you went through Twitter, there's probably someone that's created one for their their Hercules beetle that they own. They don't live that long. So if you created a Twitter account for a the, once they stop being larva, the larva actually are bigger than the actual full grown beetle, which is, I think is the craziest thing. Um, that's terrifying. That is yeah. More the larva. Terrifying. The larva does the the larvae do look like uh, something out of a like scary sci fi or like um. What's the character in Dune that is like uh, too big, or maybe I'm not. Maybe think of the wrong sci-fi thing. There's like a I'm thinking of like the sandworm. No, 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 no. Um, uh, I don't know. It, it's like a, it's like a human that is uh, has become like not even necessarily fully human um, in some sort of sci-fi thing. I can't remember what it's from. Anyway, um, the Mladeeb. Maybe I, I don't know. Like I said, it might not even be from Dune. Uh, Dune. So anyway, I read about beetles, and there's a, a sort of a wing a, a wingless grasshopper uh, in New Zealand that gets to be like the size of like the palm of your hand. Um, and so I, yeah, I spent like an hour and a half reading about giant bugs, and then it was like, oh, we got to do the podcast tonight. Oh, I got all this stuff to do before the podcast. <laughs> and so and I'll just jump in. I'm I'm cutting you off, Jason. Uh, I'm just jumping in to say uh, my my intro was going to be that it's uh, my daughter's birthday, the day that this comes oh. out. She is five, uh, or will be in in three hours after we record. But by the time you're listening to this, and so happy birthday, Lily! Happy birthday, Lily! Yeah. Don't get eaten by a giant bug. Yeah, don't let them carry you away. You know they fly. Uh, a lot of these giant beetles, they fly as well. Hey, hey, welcome. That shouldn't in. be allowed. They can't be that big and fly. We have. A, I thought we had this agreement here where, like, when hey, hey, welcome in happens, the bit's over, we move on. I, I was already talking. You, hey, hey, welcome in. It's filibuster, the Black and Red United, and large bugs, and happy birthday, Lily podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. Joined, as always, by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about DC United and uh, other soccer happening in Black the and Red DMV United area. Would also probably be a good name for a bug, a bug blog. Yeah, that could work. Black and Red United bug blog. Yeah. Maybe we'll, we'll start a, a vertical. 
just have a bug blog on Black and Red United. We will not be starting a vertical. Never ask me if you can start or if I can start an SB Nation vertical. This has a question that people have asked me to my face. If I can start them a new SB Nation vertical, go to Vox Media headquarters and ask them. Uh, I can't. Ask us reply. Put them in touch with Jeremiah O'Shan. Just walk through uh, the door and start asking anyone you see. They are, and sincerely, you'll have a better chance than asking me. Ask Mr. Xfinity. Uh, Anyway, we this podcast is about DC United. Uh, There's a lot more soccer stuff on Black and Red United, but tonight on this podcast we have uh, a loss. I don't not really looking forward to talking about first time this year. I've really we've had a a loss this bad. I think Uh, DC United lost five to two in Nashville on Sunday night, and we're gonna break it down in excruciating detail and. Later in the show, we're going to preview a trip to, um, you know, DC United gets a quick turnaround. They get to put this out of their mind by facing the Supporter Shield leading New England Revolution. Hooray! On the famously bad turf of Gillette Stadium. Hooray! Um, You know, great, great timing all around, everyone. Good work. Uh, That game is Wednesday night, so make sure you listen to this as soon as it, it drops in your, you know, listen to the whole thing as soon as this episode drops. Uh, we'll have another episode later in the week to preview DC United's visit from Atlanta United, the Interlopers uh, United. And uh, so look for that later this week in your feed. Before we talk about anything else, though, Benjamin, what are you drinking? So, you know, when you have a child's birthday party, you get uh, bottles of pop and pizza and you go to a park and you let all the children consume those bottles of pop and and pizza and so we brought uh, a couple of those half-empty bottles home, and so I'm having Sprite Zero and vodka. I would I would never buy Sprite at all, but um, I bought it for the children and then brought it home, and I couldn't think of anything else to go with Sprite Zero except vodka. Okay. You know... Necessity is the mother of invention or something. Yeah. And I, I'm, I think I'm famous enough on this podcast for never wanting to waste things. And so I just find horrible ways to consume things. And this is less horrible than most of the things that I consume. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> is it? <laughs> it's less horrible. Less horrible is doing a lot of work in that sentence. Yeah, it's, it's a broad range. Of less horrible. Uh, I am drinking an Augustiner Brow uh, Edelstoff lager. Um, and Louise, uh, my wife, had her birthday over the weekend. And so we ordered a bunch of German food and German beer to be delivered to celebrate. And one was uh, it's Augustiner Brow, which is from what claims to be the oldest still operational brewery in Munich. Um, and we had some when we were there a couple years ago uh, over the summer. So... Uh, it is a, a it's a pretty decent lager. Like it's bright and sparkly, um, and has some decent flavor. It's uh, you know the they've been doing it, I think, based on the year here since the 14th century. So they have lots of practice, and it's a good lager beer. So that's what I'm drinking. How about you, Chase? Uh, I have a uh, Kentucky Mule. Um, I don't really know why. I just was suddenly like, oh, there's some ginger beer, and before I knew it. I had this drink. Uh, it really was kind so, of a uh, hurried uh, decision. Jason, are you saying that we have on this podcast right now, we have a whiskey drink and a lager drink and a vodka drink? Uh, I, yes, I, I believe that is an accurate statement. Uh, we just need a cider drink so we can sing the songs that remind us of the good times and the songs that remind us of the better times. But, but we don't have a cider drink, so we nope. can't sing any of those songs. Nope, we have to sing the songs that remind us of the sad times, which brings us to Sunday. DC United suffered probably their worst performance of 2021 Sunday night in Nashville, get, giving up an early lead to fall 5-2 to two to Nashville SC. Uh, Frederick Briant scored early, made a couple goal line clearances in quick succession, and one of the the most exciting six minutes uh, probably any center back has ever had in MLS. But from that point on, it was basically all Nashville. Um, just it, 
it, the game got away from DC United. They they fought back in a little bit late in the first half, but they uh, they, they never really got it back into back under control. Certainly, um, their defense was just out of sync all night, badly out of sync all night. I would say. Well, and I'm going to start with the goalkeeping as the as the rock of the defense. Uh, John Kempen had a bad night. He. Uh, had at least two, uh, at least two of the goals. Like he had his hands on them, and they just got through him and into the goal. And uh, I, those are the kinds of saves that you need to make as even a like a lead backup caliber MLS goalkeeper. And definitely, if you're trying to be a starting caliber MLS goalkeeper, and those are goals. Th- those are uh, shots uh, rather that Bill Hamid saves. Uh, basically every time, but he's injured. He's not here. Uh, And it makes me pine for the days when uh, Nashville's goalkeeper, Joe Willis was DC United's backup because Joe Willis probably would have saved those goals, uh, saved those shots as well. And so uh, we'll get into the problems that the defense, uh, the outfield defense had because those were uh, a myriad as well, but it also starts uh, straight from the back with, uh, with Kempen. Yeah. I mean, with Kempen, I will say um, I don't want to get confirmation bias um, or recency bias over this last game, which was not good. Um, The first goal and the fourth goal were both the ones Ben mentioned that he you know, got his hands to, or, or really should have, uh, I think on the fourth one, he definitely got his hands to, um, uh, both of those goals never should have gone in. Um, and, but I will say that before this, he had played better. Uh, these, you know, he, maybe he wasn't able to make that Bill Hamid level, uh, amazing save, but the soft goals yeah. weren't there. Um, so we'll see, you know, what is, what the, how the team reads that situation, whether they decide to make a change or not how he what? responds to it. Um, you know, I mean, he's of... still, he's, he's still outplayed uh, uh, sites and has become the solid uh, second choice goalkeeper. So I don't think it well, was, I don't know that he out... actually did outplay Chris sites though. Like Chris sites had a bad game in San Jose. I don't think it was any worse than John Kempen's game here tonight, but then Chris sites has been very open that he had a bout with depression and anxiety. And I think he would be the first one to say he was not right to go on the field during that time. And so John Kempen stepped in and became the number two at that point, because Bill Hamid had come back and um, John Kempen kept the spot on the bench. And then you reward him for holding that spot by letting him start the games. I don't, I don't know if the right thing to do is to bench Kempen right now. Um, Cause that could go from taking a shaky performance and making that like, who he is for the rest of this year, at least, or do you trust him to to bounce back? I don't know what the right move is. It might be to put Chris Seitz back in. It might be to keep Kempen. I don't know, but I would prefer to have Bill Hamid back, certainly. Wow. But I don't know that Kempen outcompeted Seitz for this because Seitz went through some personal stuff that that certainly affected. Well, and and all of this is like, unfortunately, for people that want to comment on soccer, which is what we're trying to do when we do this podcast and we don't get bogged down on uh Beatles and Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, Chumbawamba. But, but it's very difficult for us to, this is one of those things you, you would have to be at training. You would have to have a really good feel for how, you know, the personalities of the players, how are they doing? Like, how did, how did John Kempen react today? Um, I, I am of the, I haven't checked Instagram, but I, I was under the impression the teams was, the team was staying on the road and then would go to new England directly. Um, yep. How was he today when they trained or, you know, recovery more accurately um, stuff like that. And that's stuff that none of us can know. Um, all I will say is that, yes, they were definitely bad goals. Everyone saw that. That one's, I think uh, the entire fan base can agree that he gave up two, two, at least two soft goals. And I would also argue there's a third one in there where he doesn't really like make a play for the ball. He just sort of like it goes past him and which is, you want to see the goalkeeper at least react um, and like try. And this was one of those where he reacted so late that it was like, ah, the, the effort would be wasted. Um, but you don't want to be, re- it's not that he didn't make the effort. I don't care if he like reaches for no reason for like, as a show of uh, an a attempt. Dive. 
it's it's the the thing that I want to see is the reaction time being sharp enough that it's not a, re, a courtesy dive that he does think he's got a chance. Um, so we'll see. It's definitely it opened the door in a way that I don't think I was anticipating becoming open um, because the previous three games that Kemp or three plus you know uh, the the Montreal game um, I, I didn't anticipate him having these you know kind of entry level mistakes um but to move on to um the defensive side the 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 thing that that really impressed me with Nashville it, it's really two things at once it's the movement from Randall Leal and Hani Mukhtar who both by the way I saw the MLS team of the week and I knew this was going to happen they got it wrong they picked the wrong players from Nashville no disrespect to CJ Sapong who scored the goals but he was not why they were. They put up five. He finished those moves off. The reason they put up five is that Hani Mukhtar and Randall Leal were great, um, and it's their movement off the ball. Uh, it's the the unexpected nature of that, like Leal coming into underneath two forwards. The way that they set up in their three five two, you would expect either he would move into like that traditional ten space where he's underneath and sort of between the two forwards. Or maybe Mukhtar drops off and he pushes up towards Mukhtar, so they sort of are near each other to combine. Um, and instead, he was pushing up high and wide. Uh, he was making his diagonal run away from goal. Um, whereas, you know, Mukhtar playing nominally right of center when they didn't have the ball kept popping up on the left um, and being dangerous on that side. And so the players that you would expect to, as, as, as a back three, the, the things you would expect to be encountering aren't happening um you don't if you're steve birnbaum and you see mukhtar is playing right center forward you don't expect to see him constantly popping up on your side um if you're julian gressel trying to cover that space that's further wide of birnbaum you definitely don't expect to see honey mukhtar over there all the time um if you're uh kevin paredes and tony alfaro you don't expect to have to make too many choices about who's going to track Randall Leal on like the fifth time he's making this run that's timed perfectly so that it's not 100% clear which of you has to take the man. Um, so that movement was really, really impressive from them. And the other thing I would say that through DC's defending off is actually much further up the field. Nashville was very smart in that they didn't let DC get their pressure going. Um DC didn't, they weren't able to press as quickly as they normally do. And it wasn't because they weren't trying. It was because they weren't seeing the triggers that they would normally jump all over. Um, Nashville wasn't passing into the areas that DC wanted to be their pressing traps. Um, They weren't finding themselves boxed in along a touchline. When they did go backwards, the pass was accurate. The first touch was clean. So the DC, DC didn't have that like, um, which game am I thinking of? Um, Columbus with um, mm-hmm. uh, Mensa and, uh, Keita and both, Keita. Yeah, both making mistakes on the ball and getting confused and getting pressed and giving up goals. Nashville didn't do any of that. And so all the little mistakes that DC tends to force on teams, Nashville avoided those mistakes. You credit to, like, I know Gary Smith uh, catches a lot of flack, but like, the stuff that he has them doing is not fun and exciting, but this basic stuff, uh, it turns oh. out if you can do it over and over again, it's pretty good. Yeah, he had them doing really simple things well. They spaced really well in the mm-hmm. buildup, and then they they saw that the space was there behind the, the wingbacks when they would push up, and that's the space they attacked over and over and over again, and... DC United never figured out an answer. They were still doing this well into the second half. It's it's timing. Um, more than anything, I think the issue there wasn't that DC didn't know where the danger was going to be. It's they didn't know when it was going to arrive. And so they kept being like, I don't think we need to sag back and protect that space. And that's exactly when the danger was coming. Like as soon as they, right. it's like a horror movie. Um, every single time they thought that they were, uh, they were everything was fine, and you could take that like deep breath and relax. Then you know a yellow clad axe murderer would emerge from a, a, a closet, and uh, you were back in it again. So yeah, they they it's the first time Adam, you said this is the first game that felt like this, and I think the reason it feels that way is that this is the first time the other team looked prepared for DC. Like San, yeah. th- that San Jose game, 
I don't think they looked any more prepared than anyone else. They just got some very crucial, um, good bounces in crucial moments. Um, that kind of broke the game open for them. Um, in this game, Nashville didn't really need, I mean, if anything, the lucky bounces were like Fred Briant saving two goals in like four seconds. Um, so they went DC's way to a certain extent. Um, so yeah, uh, it was a tough one. It's, it's the first time where it's like, okay, this is something that if, if another team really had time to study this and start replicating it, I might be a little more worried. Um, Fortunately, I don't, Nashville's kind of a, they're a sort of a unique animal in the East, in my opinion. I don't think there's anyone else that I see and I'm like, oh yeah, they're like Nashville, just a little worse. Um, so that's good news. There aren't a bunch of Nashvilles out there. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think Bruce Arena is going to copy this, right. for example. But I do think that this is, you know, and and Losada said, like, we'll learn from this. The players will learn from this. And I, and I assume that he probably spent quite a bit of today working on learning exactly that because this is the first time DC got exposed in this way all year. Yeah. I think there were some poor individual performances mm-hmm. in this game as well. Um, and, and Losada talked about it after the game. He said they were defending individually as opposed to collectively. And I think some of that was Nashville's doing their movement uh, of the ball and off the ball, both um, kind of made United's defensive decisions a little bit more difficult and that's not where you want to be but uh to pull one name up tony alfaro uh yep. i thought missed a couple of marks and at least one of them led to a goal um cj sapong's second goal came when he just waltzed right down main street and headed the ball in without ever having a body on him um he was he, he was kind of trailing briant who what was ahead of him and Alfaro starts to run across him to get in front of him and then just stops and says, Oh, you're in between me and Briant. That's good enough. And it, it obviously wasn't because the, the ball from Leal was perfect. I think it was Leal who had the assist on that one. Um, yeah. uh, and I think Sapong just dunked it. Yeah. I think that that's the one where uh, Briant looked back, saw Alfaro and was like, okay, Alfaro's got that guy. I'm looking at my guy in front. And then, like you said, Alfaro just stopped and and let CJ Sapong noted United Killer just uh, uh, have a have a free run and and, uh, and connect on that one. Um, I wish that uh, scientists. I know I know uh, scientists listen to this show, and so scientists, I need you to get uh, your cloning technology going because I need uh, an Andy Nahar. Maybe not the Andy Nahar, but I need and Andy Nahar to be able to play uh, about fifteen thousand minutes per year uh, because he's 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 got the experience. I feel like he's uh, shown that he's got the uh, the positional awareness that maybe Alfaro doesn't right now in this system and. who knows? They probably Nashville probably still wins even if uh, Nahar is in there. But uh, I don't know if this specific goal happens uh, that way. Maybe Sapong just jumps over Nahar because of the the height difference, and and it's and it ends up being the same. But uh, I wish I wish for uh, about three Nahars, maybe just having uh, having the ability to sub in I mean, sub in more, for themselves. More Nahars is always better. In in my book, sure. Um, yeah, the other the other issue is I I don't know what like on that goal if there was just no communication if Fred and and Tony weren't talking to each other or or what but that that play like just sticks in my craw a little bit because it should have been yeah. easily preventable at that point if if not before but that's the the crucial moment and it just fell apart for for DC United and Tony Alfaro's made some some bad decisions that have cost DC this year. He's had played up. I thought played above what I expected of him this year, but he still has those moments where it just drives you a little crazy. He's played decently, even in this, even early in this game, he, he got forward pretty decently doing his, his Andy Nahar impression. He, he popped up and uh, can get forward decently, but then like we said, all the stuff on the other side of the field happened. Anything else on the negative side of the ledger you guys want to talk about in this game before we talk about some of the, the 
better news. Mm, I, I think I will say that um, this is one of the few games where DC couldn't really get Kevin Paredes going. Yeah. Um, the the idea of playing him as a wingback rather than as part of the front three, I, it definitely made sense to me. I I mentioned it in the preview as a thing I predicted would happen um, to open up Nashville's team shape because they tend to be compact and pretty organized. But DC, was, it's not so much that, you know, I, I saw some takes that it was like, oh, they're triple teaming him. Um, and it wasn't so much that for me as it was, how often was he even getting on the ball? Um, and that's where I have my concern is that Nashville, rather than saying, let's let's commit to always getting three men on Paredes, which is very physically demanding. What they did was they were like, let's make sure that we just don't allow them to get the ball to him in space. So when he's getting the ball, he's not on the run. Uh, and we're discouraging him from dribbling because the, the first defender, the defender that fronts him at first has support. And so instead of it being about um, always being uh, isolated or, or not that, but like, always having these moments where Paredes would want to dribble and not be able to because so many guys are around him. Instead, it was like, he looks up, he's not even on the run and they've already got everything boxed away. And so he's like, okay, I'm just going to keep possession. Um, so they kept him out of the game by one, not letting him get that many touches period. And then two, when he did get on the ball, limiting his options so that he was discouraged from trying the dribble. Um, and so it's not so much a triple team as it is, just making sure that your defensive shape always has support in place. Um, and this is what, this is really the difference in the game ultimately is that Nashville always had the defensive support. Uh, anytime there was, there was a dangerous player getting on the ball, DC did not. And so this is why we had Hani Mukhtar facing up on somebody at the edge of the box so often, um, or, you know, Randall Leal makes the run out to the right and everyone's like, well, which of us is to do something about this? And it was <laughs> not clear um, because he's also, you know, it's not, I mentioned um, Alfaro and Paredes before, but like the central midfielders also didn't like go with him because they're like, well, if I, if I go with him now, it's one person defending all of this space for everyone else. Um, and as much as like Dax McCarty and Anibal Godoy are not like attacking juggernauts, if you give them a two V one in that much space, those guys have been around forever. They're smart. They will be like, I know, like I can go like you stay here. I'm going to make a run and this guy, and and you're going to just distract the other midfielder and I'm going to be unmarked completely. Um, and so again, it's not like what Nashville did so well was just, it wasn't a lot of flashy stuff. It was just the basics of not getting flustered and not giving DC a chance to really throw them out of their game. Um, and so they just, they kept kind of kept themselves in control, even though the game felt kind of out of control in the first half um, with the way it played out. And DC not, not only took the lead in the third minute, they could have scored before that goal. Um, yeah. They, I mean, they really the, did the corner kick Nashville. that came from was a Kevin Paredes shot that got saved. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. And they had, they had a, a, what was it? Two crosses from the end line inside the first minute. Uh, like they jumped all over Nashville. It's just that Nashville, immediately came back which you know as you guys uh in the discussion with clay on the last episode they that was a big factor was like yeah nashville gives up goals first sometimes and they just get over it and they come back really well um and unfortunately we saw just how well that could be which is too well yeah clay highlighted all of the trends uh, mm-hmm. so next time we have him on, definitely listen because uh it's a, no, it's a good we're not preview. we're not gonna have him on because he's too good <laughs> makes us look bad um all right some positives from this game Ola Kamara scored in his sixth straight game great assist from Paul Ariola, just a floating ball over the top that Kamara volleyed into the corner um passed an on-rushing Joe Willis um fantastic play great recognition by Ariola. great run off the back shoulder by Kamara into the space um all started from a, a good win by Moses Nyman to get the ball and push it forward to Julian Gressel, who touched it into Areola, picked his head up and just floated the ball in there. Um, and old Kamara just keeps scoring goals every week. He's just going to score a goal, uh, which, which you love to see. And I, I said on last week's show, I, I kind of disagree with some of the pundits that his scoring rate is totally ridiculously unsustainable. 
um, the types of chances that are being created for him, he can still, he can keep going at a goal per 90 the rest of the season and, you know, end up around there. And that's not far off from, from where he is right now. He's goal. I think every 60 something minutes now it went up a little more because he played a full 90 and only scored one goal. And so his rate dropped <laughs> uh, as ridiculous as that is. Yeah. Uh, but like, if he keeps scoring a goal every, every 90 minutes or every start or, you know, on average, that's a pretty great season and he can definite, he's in this golden boot race. He's one behind the leader in the golden yeah. boot race right now, which is fun. Have it, I having like fun. played, having played like, 38 39% of the minutes of yes. uh the golden boot leader uh who was actually um to to pull the curtain back so Ryan wrote uh his section of our reaction piece to this before the Seattle game was done and before Raul Ru- Ru- Diaz had scored his two goals um and so I was reading through it and I he said that Kamara was in second in the golden boot race and I was like hold on a second I think that's no longer true um and it's because Right after the DC game, Raul Ruiz Diaz and Seattle completely demolished uh, Portland, and Ruiz Diaz scored twice uh, and pushed it up to thirteen. But yeah, um, so he's two off. Okay, yeah, but uh, but you know, Kamara keeps. It, the funny thing is, he's not getting that many shots either, which is not how this is supposed to work. Um, and maybe this is the one, the one thing that I would say maybe makes it less sustainable. He has twenty-two shot attempts this year and has scored eleven goals. Um, that is hard to do. That doesn't happen a lot. Normally, <laughs> if you're a forward that has scored 11 goals in this many games, it's because you're shooting all the time. Um, I think Rui Diaz is up to like 40 something shots to get to 13. And that's like, that's normal. Um, but what's been great about Kamara is that even when you feel like he's, he's, he's like a kind of a throwback, even when you don't think he's been much of a factor in the game going forward, this goal happens. Um, and it's from, him setting up the defense early with his run off the ball. It's great delivery, of course, but he sets up the defense so that there no one's marking him in this moment so that he can make this run. And by making the run, he invites Ariola to look up and play that ball and take the chance that this ball might work out. Um, and, and I also, I want to give him credit. Like this wasn't a, like a glorious finish. It's not going to be goal of the week or anything, but it's kind of an awkward one. Uh, yeah. And he still managed to get, get it done as if it was no big deal. Like he just, he made this very awkward play look pretty casual, um, which uh, is the kind of thing that, uh, you know, if you're a great, like Luciano Emilio used to do that, um, where he would score some goals that were kind of awkward, but it was like, wow, he made that awkward thing look not so awkward. Like most people would have ended up like, like, on yes, their getting face. their, yeah, getting their foot to the ball, but then like that foot lands on the ground and you like end up like toppling over yourself and possibly like, pull pull a hamstring just from a weird fall or whatever um and he just he made it look very like no no this is fine this is no big deal um and well yes i am a professional athlete if he keeps doing that it's a little bit like a boxer who is maybe not throwing a ton of punches but like once around gets in like a really really good shot um which isn't really a good way to be a boxer uh, I don't think, but <laughs> it turns out it can be a good way to be a striker. Um, I would love to see Kamara getting more shots than he's getting, but also I can't really complain if this is, if the methodology is he creates with his off the ball movement, one big look per game, then he, it seems like he's going to keep putting them away. Right. And like the, he, like he said to you, Jason, or like he, I think it was in response to your question. Um, in a post-game press conference, the the types of chances that he does get when he does take a shot, they are his types of chances yes. that he yeah. has scored in Columbus, in L.A. Um, that, that D.C. wasn't creating for him last year. Exactly. Um, and it's right. it's interesting because how he's getting them is different. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, Columbus used to stretch everyone out and open up these big channels in possession with the ball. D.C. does it by they force these turnovers on the, on the press and the other team is disorganized. So the channels are there because the other team is in their possession shape. They're prepared to be doing something else. And DC catches them off guard. Um, but the end result is still Ola Kamara has a ton of space to run into. And when you give him a ton of space to, uh, it, it's funny, like he's good, so good at manipulating defenses without having the ball. Um, and it's all these little like head feints and, 
you know, maybe he starts his run and then stops and sags back, and then he starts a run again. Um, he's really good at just sort of conning defenders into thinking he's not he's not going to make the run this time, and then he's making the run past you. Almost Wondolowskian, yeah, uh, in a way. Uh, another another piece of good news from this game: uh, DC United scored a goal on a, a nice set piece, um, freeing Frederick Briant up for a run right at the near post with a some little pick action that you see uh good set piece teams do and then another much more subtle um and and clever set piece that that didn't quite come off uh but was very clearly designed julian gressel takes a short corner and then runs the back shoulder uh to to get the ball back two passes later get the ball back at the six yard box uh couldn't quite bring it down and volley at home but a, a very interesting look and a fun fun chance mm-hmm. it would have been really it would have been a little bit more glorious if that one had gone in um or if he had managed to head it across to Ola Kamara who was wide open at the other post like th- that that goal came so close uh on that one but DC United is we I, I complained about this a couple weeks ago actually that we saw some interesting thoughtful and clever set piece designs early in the season and that had kind of fallen off and now we've seen them again for the last two weeks um where we've seen good set piece design combined with good delivery. And mm-hmm. uh, that, that's a good way to score goals and create chances uh, in this league. Yeah. Uh, Gressel laughed a little bit. Uh, Cause I, I kind of brought this up um, in the post game. The fact that this was a, a corner kick in which it was designed for him to be the target. When he <laughs> took, when you take a short corner, you're, you're usually not going to end up being the target on the play. Um but yeah, he said that uh, he specifically mentioned that Chad Ashton has been um, giving the players uh, the you know a couple a couple set piece designs the day of the game, so it's fresher in their minds. Um, but he also mentioned that, and he pointed out quickly that like they scored on a corner uh, recently. It wasn't just this one um, that that they feel like they've been dangerous. And when you go back and look at this play, some of it is like the classic how do you get open on a corner in MLS specifically sometimes it's you shove your man um you shove him yes. and then run elsewhere <laughs> and so you know Jack Mayer thinks he's got Fred you know he, he's got himself set up like if if Bryant tries to run through me I'm just going to be right in his way and Bryant just like two-arm pushed him away and then <laughs> ran um and if you're not ready for that shove you will get pushed back. Um, it turns out professional athletes are strong and can push people aside. Um, but it was kind of funny because I, I was like, I want to, I want to watch this back and see like, was there a pick? What was the the movement pattern? You know, give me some 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 info here. And I watched the replay. And it was like, oh, he just shoved him. Um, okay, <laughs> that's uh, that's funny. <laughs> they, did, um, they did it cleverly where they had another player next to him, so it looked like it was just a run sure, of the mill sure, pick, and, which and, is also not legal, but is. <laughs> A little bit grayer than a two-hand well, shove. <laughs> I will say I noticed something else at the other end of the field that didn't get called either. That really probably should have. DC got lucky on this one. Um, I think this was Tony Alfaro and CJ Sapong on a set piece um, that didn't end in a goal for Nashville. I think I, I had to watch this on the um, the game in fifteen uh, because, of course, when you try and go on ESPN Plus right after and you get blacked out. Oh, uh, thanks a lot. After. Yeah, th- thanks a lot, uh, national TV rights standards. Uh, Bring back MLS Live. Don't make any, yeah, for real. Um, but yeah, uh, Alfaro was trying to keep up with Sapong on a set piece, and it ended up just sort of like like Sapong tried to stop, and Alfaro just ran into the back of him and knocked him over as the ball was like floating in. And it was just like, like not only not noticed by anyone, but also like Sapong was just like, I guess sometimes I get shoved down in the box. I don't know. <laughs> uh, he, didn't, he didn't seem too upset about it either, which was funny to me that like I personally would feel like if I got shoved down in the box, I'd be like, the ball's in midair. Can I get some attention here from, from you referee? And instead he was just like, yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> Sometimes you fall down. One last piece of good news from this game. Edison Flores got back on the field for the first time in three months and new acquisition Ramona Aliba also came on. They came on together actually. Um, and I think a triple sub late in the game mm-hmm. where Hernan Losado was just throwing everything at the wall to see what would stick. They basically played four two four from that mm-hmm. point on to to give you an idea. Steven Burmam had to come out with a cut on his scalp, which was bleeding profusely. I think I I, I feel justified in saying 
Stop uh, cutting Stephen Birnbaum's head. Seriously. He people talk about how many concussions he's had. He's had more cuts on Far his. More cuts. He's only had a, a like two or three more, concussions. Yeah, um, but, but he the number of times cuts, he's yeah multiple times, times he's year. come out of a game with just like a scalp uh, situation is alarming. Um, yeah, I don't know that. Like, I don't know if Losada was planning on. I, I know he was planning on going to a back four that he wanted to be very attack minded. With that sub, like we saw, like if you watched, go back and watch the game, Mora's up on the touchline, like he's already been given his instructions before Burnbaum even goes down. So that I think they were preparing some kind of go to a back four. Um, but once he got the cut, it was like, well, you know, how long, like how long is it going to take to even wrap that up? Like, let's just make him the sub instead. I think that's what right. happened. I don't know. I just, it makes sense to me that that would be how it played out. Um, but yeah, that, that all or nothing four two four it didn't work. Um, I, I, I understand the rationale for doing it for sure because at that point in the game, you know, Losada's told us he's told everyone, I am not just gonna like meekly settle for the score. Like if I, my team's losing, we're going to go go crazy trying to get the uh, get the equalizer. Um, it just you know sometimes you throw the kitchen sink at someone and they just step out of the way um, and you don't hit them with it. And so the desired impact wasn't there and that's what happened on this one. Like, unfortunately we don't have much to say about Abila or Flores because they didn't get much of the ball because DC didn't really like Nashville really managed that segment of that. And granted it was like seven minutes. And then um, that fourth goal went in, which kind of ended the game for, for, for real. Um, but yeah, it, it's uh, it's important for Flores to be out there. Um, I, I don't know in new England, if he's going to be able to play any more minutes because of the turf. Um, but, um, DC needs it because, you know, we didn't get that much out of Jordi Reyna in this game. Um, I went, I, I went back and checked his, like, you know, the data and everything in there. There were a couple like, you know, completed dribbles. He won a couple fouls, but it still was one of those games where it just felt like he wasn't really able to do very much. In right. I, you'd see him running around and popping up in spaces. He'd be right. active and then he would turn the ball over or yeah. he, he would turn and there'd be nothing there and he'd just move the ball along. He wasn't able to really create anything or get on the ball in high leverage moments, which is I, like he, he shines in the higher leverage moments, right? Sure. He's not, he's not but, a possession buildup guy. He's yeah. the final third guy. And, and one thing I did notice when I looked at that map is that, I think it was every single missed pass he had was an attempt to play the ball forward. So there it's a bunch of like, like dark gray lines pointing forward. And it's like, okay, he was trying to get something going, but none of it did not work a single time. Um, and, you know, ultimately Edison Flores is that they're not the same player, but they're similar enough. Um, and Flores has a much higher ceiling. Um, and Reyna might not be all that consistent. Like, even even if he plays his way into um, his because his contract, as far as we know, is up this year. If he plays his way up in, into a, a new deal, he's still not going to be ahead of Flores. Slash, if the team decides, you know, if Flores never gets going at a certain point, you've got to say we can't spend this money on him anymore. Um, which is one of the things I wrote about. This is kind of a crunch, uh, like fifteen games for Edison Flores right now. Um, because the team can't afford to have him be what he's been. He has to be better. Uh, he has to, there has to be a more concrete impact in games for him to be paid the amount of money he is because DC otherwise will not climb above where they are. Um, the ceiling is kind of sixth or maybe fifth in the East. Um, if that's the performance you're getting out of your most expensive player, um, but yeah, it, it is going to be interesting to see how quickly they can bring him along and, and Abila because, uh, Abila hadn't played for about a month uh, since his last appearance in Minnesota. I, I don't, I don't know that there's anything to judge from his performance in this game because, right. like, you're it's... having two out and out number nines playing in the same space a, in a game where it's like, yeah, we're throwing the kitchen sink. I, I don't know, man. And then the other team yeah. is like, we've got this handled. And so I, I think Abila only had like three or four attempted passes. Like he just didn't even see much of the ball and it wasn't even really his fault. It was just DC didn't do anything in the, the last few minutes of the game other than give up two goals. I tried to end it on the more positive note, but yeah. it, it didn't work. There's, there wasn't, I mean, it was a five too much negative. Yeah. Too much negative from this one. So 
we're gonna move okay, here, on. Adam, I'll give you I'll give you your silver lining. All right. It's a it's a quick one. Hit me. This is the first time it's happened this year. Like we're this far into the season, and this is our one loss where it's like we can't chalk it up to bad luck. We can't chuck it up, chalk it up to bad refereeing. We just have to say the other team played better uh, and scored five goals on us because they were good. Um, and if it's only if that's only happening once every like nineteen games in uh, the notoriously wacky MLS, where even the good teams sometimes are just completely garbage, then that's not so bad. Now, if it happens again in like a month, then I'm starting to be like, hold on a second, we got a problem now. But as of no, right no, no, now, it's supposed to be the it's supposed to be the positive. As a, as of right now is what I'm trying to finish with. As of right now, I we don't have a pattern. We have a one off, and hopefully that's all this was. And on that note, we will call it a segment, uh, and we will be right back after a word from our sponsor. Stick around; it's filibuster. All right. Say you're at work, and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens. And you need some legal representation to uh, to assert your rights in that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly uh, or, or, or something worse happens. Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you call the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment and you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, If you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have uh, a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper and you're dealing with a a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster welcome back to filibuster the black and red united and skeletor podcast just bringing in some of the between segment conversation there um dc united has basically the shortest turnaround they're they're ever going to face uh this week going from a sunday night game to a wednesday night game uh that happens to be on the famously worst turf in mls against the supporters shield leaders um so uh it's gonna be fun dc united go from nashville on sunday to foxborough wednesday night to to face the new england revolution uh, thanks, schedule makers, for doing us that that big solid. Um, you can watch it on Wednesday night, 7 p.m., NBC Sports Washington, Teleexitos, DCUnited.com, or ESPN+. Um, I, I guess you got to start talking about just what a good team the Rebs are right now. There's no question they are uh, one of the best teams, if not the best team in MLS right now. They are... I believe 12 points ahead of the pack in the Eastern Conference, uh, a little bit closer in the Supporter Shield race, but they still have a substantial lead over Sporting Kansas City there. Uh, they're well over two points per game. They have the best home record in MLS, the best road record in MLS. They've scored more goals than anybody else. They're, they have a goal differential within two of anybody at the top of the table. Um, they are just a, a very, very strong team uh, this year. Jason, where do you start with them? What are they doing so well? Well, it's, what's funny is normally the answer would be they have Carlos Hill, uh, who's the best player in the league. But Carlos but they're winning injured. without him. Yeah, they haven't they, lost. yeah, he's injured, and they just they haven't been winning as spectacularly. If you look at this run they're on right now, where they've they've in the last seven games they've won six and have one draw against Nashville. Um, but other than Okay, so they beat Miami 5 nothing, which, okay, uh, Miami, we've talked plenty about, is a, sh- a team that you might beat 5 nothing, uh if you show up <laughs> for the game. Um, but the other games are all one-goal wins. Um, it's a lot of one nothing and 2-1. There's a 3-2 in there, but um, this is a, a resourceful team. They're really good at the back. Um, it's not anything fancy. It never has been with Bruce Arena. Um, you're not getting... 
And he would scoff at probably if he sat in on a more intricate tactical meeting, he would probably scoff at it because Bruce Arena likes to scoff. Um, but yeah, He's there's the a clear type. Yeah. Um, but there's a clarity of what they want to do. They aren't all wrapped up in whether they dominate the game or not. They just want to win. Um, they're going to be direct uh, with, with Adam Buxa and Gustavo Bo. They have the ability to create these physical mismatches up top um, because Bo is also fast and he pops up in different places and he shoots from unusual spots on the field, um, which DC fans should probably know this more than anyone because he's just, he always scores a goal against DC unless we uh, only concede via own goal as happened earlier this year. Yes. Um, but yeah, th- there's just, it's a team that has lots of very talented players. There's no one where in the lineup where you're like, well, that guy's not very good. Um, they just, even when they've had to rotate, they rotate in solid players. Like it's not Matt Turner obviously has played very well. Everyone saw in the gold cup that the hype uh, was justified, uh, especially against Mexico in the final where, there's a stretch of that game where Mexico probably could have been up by like three or four before the U S even got their legs under them. Um, so yeah, they've got some big time players. It's just that a lot of it is like everyone else don't do anything too stupid. Don't screw up. I have a lot of team speed all over the place and all of this is set up to get my star players in positions to do star player stuff, which is what Bruce arena has been doing in MLS with the galaxy he didn't really do it at the Red Bulls, which is fun. Um, but when he was at DC United, it was the same thing. Lots of players who are good at, at a lot of basic stuff that don't make a lot of mistakes. And you create this platform that your game-breaking players can do what they do. It's wild that however much you think that MLS has changed over its entire existence, Bruce Arena has just been doing the same thing this whole time. And he's just a good enough coach that it, it, it just works. Yeah, and he's he's built for I, – I think he's built more for a league schedule uh, than, you know, as we saw during the World Cup qualifying when he took over for Klinsman. I don't think he was built for that because that's that's a, a series uh, Jason, of one-off Jason, 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 yeah. uh, I, I don't – Bruce Arena coached the 2002 and 2006 uh, uh, cycles, and that was it. I don't know what uh, you're talking about. Look, yeah, you're right. Uh, he didn't go to another World Cup beside those. I don't know well, if you I mean, guys that's heard true, about but this. also you never coach terrible news. ever again. I have some terrible news uh, about some stuff that happened in 2017. Yeah, um, <laughs> we we tried to keep you um, innocent of this cryogenically frozen. That, yeah, yeah, that coma you were in. Um, one guy I don't recall you mentioning that I think we need to shout out is Tejon Buchanan, mm-hmm. who played for Canada in the Gold Cup, did very well. Has drawn interest from a, abroad. There's reportedly been offers made for him he's not commenting on it bruce arena obviously isn't commenting on it he never comments on anything no uh famously bruce arena does not really enjoy talking to the press or giving information out at all ever but tejon buchanan came in scored this weekend against toronto fc uh on a headed goal which isn't really his game yeah. he's kind of he, he plays right wing right wing back no, he, no, no normally or, or he plays, plays on, on the left. Plays, this was plays the on both sides. He was kind of this game against TFC, he played on the right, um, which is, I think, part of their adjustment. They're tr- they're uh, t- uh, trying to figure out how to adjust without Carlos Hill, who often plays to the right, even though he's a playmaker. Um, but yeah, they've been kind of toggling between, it's always a back four, but from there, it's kind of, you know, from game to game, Arena is willing to switch it up. Um, so in this game, he wanted Buchanan on the right. Um, I'm not entirely sure what his uh what he saw in tfc where he was like oh i want to move my guy over to the right for this one um but he's figuring it out you know the whether it's him playing wide uh or whether you know a couple games ago there was a game against i think philly where he was sort of tucked in um nominally a wide midfielder but playing a little closer to the middle than we would uh normally expect um but yeah they've been really good at figuring out where can we get buchanan who has you know, he's got so much speed, but he's so direct with the ball. Um, yeah. Even more so than like, like Kevin Paredes, for example, has dribbling moves. Um, Buchanan is more of a guy that is like, I'm just going to shift my you. weight, touch the ball past you and I'm off. Um, and that's what makes him so dangerous is that, and, and he has top line speed and that's what got him into the league. I, I think that's what got him drafted was just like, 
this guy is very fast and he's not so bad at everything else that we can't work with it. Um, and they've really unlocked a lot of other stuff that I, I don't think was there when he came into the league. Um, his, his sense of timing, his sense of where to be moving uh, off the ball, uh, and also how to set people up so that they are vulnerable to that, like, I'm just going to touch it and go. Um, so, yeah, he's he's been, uh, since Hill went down, it seems like Buchanan has stepped right in and is maybe not doing the same thing, but is still getting the results because they keep winning these, like, 2-1 games like clockwork. Right. If you remember the potential Breck Shea had at one point, uh, Tejon Buchanan is kind of Breck Shea without the baggage at this point, which is a high-level player in MLS and mm-hmm. deservedly getting interest from abroad. Um, a significant amount of baggage. That, yeah. <laughs> Brexhay comes with, with trunk loads of baggage. Um, last time pants, D.C. United... His big, big pants. Last time D.C. United and New England played, Jason alluded to this earlier, nobody really created anything on yes. either side for the entire game. The difference was that when DC United took a bad deflection in, in their box, it went in for an own goal. When New England did, it bounced off of Andrew Farrell and hit the post. Like, it was weird. Uh, both teams basically, DC United did better at finishing their own goals than, than New England, which means that New England won the game. It was, it was very strange. Are there any lessons from that game that we can apply to this one? Or was that just such a weird game? It was early in Losada's. Right. Tenure, DC United hadn't really figured out what they were doing in this system yet. They certainly weren't creating chances the way they have been. Um, but I'm curious whether there's anything there because New England was already starting to run up the table at that point. I don't know if there's too much we can take from it. Um, it will be tough to create chances against them because one of the things they did well in that game, which they're going to do again, I guarantee, is that. If DC's press gets going and they put somebody into a difficult position on the ball where, like, if that player dallies, if, if that player does a Jonathan Mensa on the ball, that player is going to put the ball up the field towards Adam Books's head. Um, the, the Revs have no compunction about playing that extra pass in the back. If they're in danger, they're going to kick it up the field to one of the two tall guys, and maybe that guy will do something with it, but at least you're not going to give away a goal. So they're very risk-averse. Um, which makes them good against pressing teams. It's hard to press them because they can always just go long. Um, there's not that dogmatic, well, hold on, let's think about this thing. It's like, no, no, go long. Uh, we, Bruce Arena is going to like murder you if you don't go long. Um, and so they do. Um, so yeah, that's, that is a main takeaway from that game. But like the version of DC United we saw that way back when is not really what we're seeing today. So Hopefully, the what the team has developed in terms of its attacking movements, uh, having this was a team that didn't have Andy Nahar uh, as a defender at the time, so they couldn't really, uh, you know, break lines with a dribbling center back like they can now. Um, so these are some things that DC throws at the Revs that they didn't see last time that they will have to have prepared for, whereas the Revs are kind of the team that DC played at the time they haven't really looked to change themselves all that much. They've just been refining what's working. And obviously, like I said, they're on a run where it's uh, 19 points out of a possible 21. Um, that means that it's working. Even when they, you know, they've toggled between 4-4-2 or 4-2-3-1. Um, Gustavo Bo also just sort of, he's the second forward, but sometimes he just decides to play as a 10. Sometimes he decides to play out wide. Um they they figure it out. You know, he gets to move and then the other guys move to adjust to him. Um, and so the system works for them regardless of, you know, the, the even the when you look at the kind of opponent that they're playing, whether it's, um, you know, a, a pressing team like Philly or the Red Bulls, they figure that out. Whether it's a compact defensive team like Nashville, they figured that out. Uh, you know, TFC is kind of a mess. They beat the team that's kind of a mess. They placed a low block uh, team that counters against Montreal. They they dealt with that. So all the challenges they come across, they seem, even if they don't necessarily figure it out where you're like, wow, what a tactical triumph this was, they find a way to not get outplayed so badly on the tactical side that they can't just leverage the fact that they've got some really, really good individual players. 
that are able to produce something every single game. Um, it's kind of like what Kamara has been able to do for DC is they get someone producing that from, you know, pretty much once a game, twice a game. Uh, and it's sometimes it's a different person. You know, Gustavo Bo has, I think, I think he's 12 goals at this point. I want to say he's one of the, um, one yeah, of the players he above got his Kamara. 12th off of a penalty. I think he scored right. a penalty in each of their last two games, actually, to right. provide and the margin, the which, winning margin. Is, which is an interesting yeah, – I'm glad you brought that up because um, the Revs are winning penalties because of their team speed. Um, not just Buchanan, uh, Brandon By, Dewan Jones, their fullbacks are some of the fastest players in the entire league. Um, Bo is, is pretty fast himself, and, and they're all very direct and to the point. And so they get into the box frequently because they're not trying to overly, they're not very elaborate. Um, There's not a lot of fancy stuff about the revs. They're just trying to go get into the box and then make something happen from there. And it turns out when you've got a bunch of fast guys who keep getting into the box at some point, maybe someone sticks a leg out, they don't get the ball and you win penalty kicks. And so what was funny about the one they won in Toronto actually was mm -hmm. it was like a very simple entry pass straight down the middle um, like kind of do the penalty spot. Uh, I don't even know who won the penalty, but he, he is back to goal and he, he tries to turn and Eric Zavaleta just hugs him from behind <laughs> and, and he goes down and it's a clear penalty. There's no question. Right. Um, but it, it's, it's just, you know, kind of TFC being a little bit shoddy and new England being quicker of thought and good old, good old Eric Zavaleta. <laughs> Sometimes he, you see a guy and you're just like, he needs a hug from behind sometimes you just see an MLS replacement level player and you're just like i'm glad you still have a job (laughs) (laughs) all right so let's get out of here let's let's do our our last question here how do you game plan against this reps team what do you look for what are their weaknesses what do you try to take away from them well if they're gonna if they're gonna play over dc's press which they are um a lot of times what you're going to get is a target forward knocking the ball down. You got to win that second ball. Um, Those are going to be huge because the difference between a team that high presses and the other team just goes long. If you're winning those second balls, you're just back at them. And so their defense is just constantly having to defend. They're always under pressure. They're always dealing with something and you can wear them down. DC was trying to wear them down the first time they didn't quite do it. But you know, like you said, Adam, there was that deflection from Farrell that went off the post. They almost got out of there with a point. Um, so that's a big part of it is it's, it is going to be a second ball kind of game, um, which makes it not necessarily pretty, but like most games on Gillette uh, at the, on their turf aren't very pretty. They are often second ball games because of the condition of that turf. I don't think it's that bad this year. I, I don't, I don't think it's, um, it's I don't not as it's, bad as it was in like, you know, a decade ago, certainly. We're not in the last year of its lifespan. Um, so at least there's that. Um, but it's still, it's turf and it's not the greatest. So the quality of the game will be a little more pinball-y, especially if the Revs are willing to go long like they are. Um, it is going to be a big test for DC in terms of how you deal with the fact that they've got so much speed and oftentimes are playing four four two. So they've got um, that 2v1 on the flank. Uh, if their fullbacks push up, they've got a 2v1 against your wingback. What do you do about it? Um, I think a main thing for DC is going to be try to make sure that those wide players are so occupied trying to come inside and help out uh, defensively to make sure that they don't get overloaded um, by DC, that they then don't have the opportunity to break out when the ball goes the other way, or, or they do, but it, it takes so long that they're not really a factor. Um, that's going to be a major major thing in this game is whether this is uh, – one where DC can force them to be more compact than they want to be so that when they break out, they can't break out with the speed on the flanks. Or if they are, if the revs are able to, you know, turn this into here comes Buchanan and Jones overlapping on a two V one with just Gressel out on the touchline. What's he going to do? Um, I am curious to see what Losada wants to do in terms of, does he want to play a third central midfielder? Um, and play three five two, or does he want to, you know, the the Montreal game he mentioned part of the three four three? He switched Paredes and Ariola, but it was a lot of it was about Ariola back pressing, um, and and creating an overload coming back off the front line rather than it being about like my question when I asked him about this was about 
getting Paredes uh, a matchup. I was like, is there something in that matchup that you wanted for Paredes? And he's like, actually, it's the other way around. Uh, what I wanted was Paul Ariola back pressing on Samuel Piet. That's the matchup I wanted. It was not about on the ball. It was about off the ball. Um, mm-hmm. So is DC going to force the overload by getting their wide forwards as part of a box, which we've talked about a couple of times this year, mm-hmm. or are they just going to play with two up front and have that third central midfielder come in um, and force the overload just by having it be there naturally rather than a guy having to track back so much. Um, I, I think DC might be better off pressing with three um, because that's that my might... inclination pushes the fullbacks right. back. Exactly. So, so this might restrict by and Jones from getting forward so much. Um, but I also, you know, do they have the legs for that? Um, right. Is a different question because it, we've seen DC go on the road and not really high press. Um, we've seen them play out of that three, five, two mid block a few times now um, where it's much more selective. So, I'm I'm very curious. We'll know what's coming when we see the lineup. I think when we if we see only two forwards, we can guess what the tactics are from there. Um, right. I do think it, it's worth commending Losada on working that mid block look mm-hmm. into the the rotation or into the the repertoire, knowing the travel this year, the heat uh, of the American summer, which you don't really get playing the European calendar in Belgium. It's just not a thing you deal with. Uh, with the, the one-hour bus ride? Yeah, the, yeah, the one-hour one bus, bus ride. ride your, big, the, your big daunting challenge, travel-wise? The, the pleasant rain. <laughs> yeah. uh, decent temperatures. Like, it's... A good Trappist ale. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Um, that is a much better place to end this. So uh, make sure you watch the game on Wednesday night. We will be out probably on Friday with uh, a preview of the Atlanta game. So look for that in your podcast feeds as well. Thank you all for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com. If you want to support us financially, you can do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. Most weeks, uh, well, most weeks when it's a a normal schedule, um, Patreon supporters will get early access to the preview episode. We're working on uh, other potential perks right now, but that's that's one of the big ones. Um, When you have double game weeks, it's hard to, to pull that off. So we're, we're working on it. We're but gonna... also your support lets us do multiple episodes. Yes. It's in true. Double game weeks. It, that's very true. So thank you to all our Patreon supporters, past, present, and even future. Why not? Uh, find us on Twitter at black and red. You at filibuster DCU, send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com download, subscribe, and especially rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Mostly tell a friend about the show. That's the best way to spread the word. We've been asking you for years and you guys have come through for us. So thank you again for that. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Skeletor does have flesh on the back of his skull, I think. What about a neck? No, no neck. I'm horrified by all of this. (laughs) 